And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campia Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with them by going anytime, 24-7, whenever you find an interesting topic or piece of news that you think should be a main topic, head on over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia Show. With that down, let's get into main topic number one, shall we? And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by one of our Patreon supporters, Ian Barth. And Ian Barth writes, Hey, John and Rob. Friday evening brought the report from Deadline that Chris Pratt will be joining the cast of Thor Love and Thunder. We already assumed that the Guardians would be in this movie, but what do you think of the official confirmation that we will get some form of the Guardians in this movie? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, for those of you who didn't catch it right after we did the John Campia show on Friday, a uh, piece of news dropped. It is now official. Chris Pratt will be in Thor Love and Thunder as Star-Lord. This comes to us from the folks over at Deadline who write, Chris Pratt's Guardians of the Galaxy character will be in Taika Waititi's upcoming Marvel sequel, Thor Love and Thunder. This is not a shocker given how Thor is aboard Star-Lord's spaceship at the end of Avengers Endgame. The movie is currently in pre-production at Fox Studios in Australia, set for a 2021 start date. And I believe they've got an early 2022 release date on that film right now. You're right. This is no shock. This is no surprise. We talked probably about six months ago about the fact that we all kind of were guessing and assuming that Chris Pratt was going to appear, or at least some of the Guardians of the Galaxy, most likely Chris Pratt, was going to appear in Thor Love and Thunder. So this is not big surprising news. This is nothing earth shattering. But it is of note because now it's official. We're going to get him in there. The question becomes, how big of a role Will he actually play in this movie? Rob, the way I see it, there are two options of the way this could play out. Option number one is that he plays a role in it like Chris Evans played Captain America in Thor The Dark World, where he showed up for that one scene where Loki took the form of Captain America. It So you could get something like that. I'm guessing... That we are going to see, and this is just a guess, I have nothing to base this on. My guess right now is that we're going to see more Chris Pratt more in the role of Mark Ruffalo in Thor Ragnarok. I think we're going to find that he is going to be, uh, you know, the George to Paul McCartney or whatever that the Beatles analogy you want to do. I'm not even a Beatles guy. Why am I doing a Beatles analogy? I don't know. But <laughs> I think you're going to see him as like, uh, kind of the second major role in it, uh, along just like Hulk was in the first one. Again, I've got nothing to base that on. The fact of the matter is we've got lots of other people in there. Like, let's not forget Valkyrie is going to be in there as well. She's obviously going to probably play a major role. And we just cannot wait to get our first look at Christian Bale for whatever it is he's going to be doing in this thing. But again, no surprising. Rob, if you had to take a venture here as to how big of a role do you think Pratt is actually going to play in this film? Do you think it's going to be more like that quick cameo that Chris Evans did? Do you think it's going to be more like a major role like Mark Ruffalo did? Do you think it's going to be somewhere in between? How do you see this? Probably somewhere in between because you know at the beginning or at the end of 
of Endgame, they're all going off together. You know, it could be Thor and the Guardians of the Galaxy or, or the Thor and the Asgardians of the Galaxy or, or the uh, just the Asgardians of the Galaxy. And I, I think it was kind of fun that their, their chemistry, uh, they're trying – I mean, Star-Lord obviously feels somewhat of uh, uh, competition with Thor – and it's funny. I mean, I like the way it was played in the, in the film. And obviously Thor, when we last saw him, is Fat Thor. And they were both talking about hitting the gym. As Rocket said, he's a couple sandwiches short of being fat or whatever. <laughs> and and I, I think I think whatever's going to happen, it, it's, it's going to have – I would imagine something happens more toward the beginning of the film that sends Thor off. They need a, some kind of a send-off for Thor to leave the guardians, something satisfying, something fun. Maybe it's only the, like in the beginning, they go off and do something together. You know, they there's, they're on a mission or something. And I, I don't know. Um, but I don't think it's going to be as substantial as Ruffalo in, um, in Ragnarok. I think it's going to, because we've got, we've got, you know, female Thor to deal with. So I think it's, I would imagine it's going to be something in between captain America and, and, and uh, Hulk something that it happens more at the beginning of the film and maybe the end, maybe there's some kind of a bookend sequence, but I think there's going to be something that happens at the beginning. Thor goes on his merry way and goes off whatever love and thunder means. He's going to go find what that is. And so I think it's going to happen in the beginning and then everyone will be satisfied and they will be funny and amusing. And then the movie's going to start, you know, then they, then Thor goes off and starts his own film. So then where do you put the odds right now of, the other Guardians of the Galaxy. What about Drax? What about Gamora? Well, I mean, Gamora wasn't with them at the end, but maybe she's caught up with them by now because – or like do they show them as well or do they do what Deadpool did with the X-Men in the X-Mansion? We only ever saw two of them at a time and everybody else was off in some other room. Do we start off the movie with just Chris Pratt and Thor in one part of the ship and we just assume that all the other Guardians are another part of the ship? Or do you think at some point we're going to hear that the other members of the Guardians are going to pop up in here as well? Well, I mean, it really depends. If if they're filming concurrently and they've got the Guardians together, I certainly wouldn't put it past Marvel to give an appearance of all of them. So maybe. Um, but I think, you know... I think probably so that we're probably mm. going to get an appearance from all of them because, well, maybe not Gamora, but they were all on the ship together and it would make sense. I'm starting to suspect and, and, and I, I again, nothing to base this on. I'm starting to suspect we're going to see them at the beginning, like you suggest, and then they probably come back into it later, like when Thor needs it. Everything is dark and he just needs that extra little boost or somebody comes in. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Question is for you guys. What do you think about this news that now that's official, Chris Pratt is going to be appearing as Star-Lord in Thor Love and Thunder. How big of a role do you think it's going to play? Do you think we're going to see the other members of the Guardians or not? What do you guys think? Jump down into the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by CDV and CDV writes, Hey, John and co. Well, hello there, CDV. Thanks for writing in. Uh, firstly, thanks for all the great content over the years. Well, thank you for watching us over the years. Uh, have you seen the report from Variety that James Gunn has brought Sly Stallone into the Suicide Squad? I find this really intriguing since principal photography was meant to have wrapped months ago. I guess this would suggest a small cameo. What do you guys think? Thanks again. 
and keep bringing the filthy. All right, man. Thanks a lot for sending that in. And yes, James Gunn never fails to surprise us, keep us on our toes, delight us, all these sorts of good things. And the other day he jumped online and he put out this official post on his social media where he said the following, always love working with my friend Sylvester Stallone and our work today, today, he said when he posted this, our work today on the Suicide Squad was no exception. Despite Sly being an iconic movie star, most people still don't have an idea what an amazing actor this guy is. Academy Award nominations weren't enough. Believe James Gunn. He's actually quite an incredible actor. All right. So here's James Gunn saying Sly Stallone, they shot something that day. Is this or does this suggest that whatever Sly is doing in the movie of Suicide Squad, it, this was just some tack on thing at the end? Maybe it's possible because if you just take everything at face value, the way it was presented, James Gunn is saying, hey, I work, me and Sly were working together today on something for Suicide Squad. And as CDV pointed out, this is a movie where really the photography on the film was done ages ago. <laughs> it was done a long time ago. So maybe they're just doing some little pickups. But I do want to just point one thing out. There was nothing in that post that suggested they weren't doing work together before. All James said was that we did some work today. That he didn't at all say... This was our first day working on Suicide Squad together. He does not. All I'm saying is, listen, he did not eliminate. He did not eliminate the possibility that Stallone had already worked on the film. They just chose not to show us any of that when they put out their little sizzle reel at DC fandom. So that is a possibility. Obviously, we all know that James Gunn has worked with Sylvester Stallone before because he appeared in the Guardians of the Galaxy 2. So I expect to see Sylvester Stallone probably pop up in Guardians 3. So to have him pop in here, though, is still a surprise. But it is an interesting matchup here. Rob, let me ask you this. What did you think about this announcement that James Gunn made that him and Stallone are now working on Suicide Squad together? And what do you think this is more suggesting? Do you think it's suggesting that this is just a quick, short cameo that they just came in to shoot for one day, which clearly is a very solid possibility? Or do you think maybe that there is a possibility that he's been working on this film with him in other days as well, and he's just come in to do some reshoots? What do you think about it overall? And what do you think it means? First of all, I think it's delightful. You know, the idea that that James Gunn and Stallone are back together doing something. Um, I don't think he was working on the movie proper necessarily. Maybe this was something that was always planned, but they couldn't make make it work out because of covid or some such thing. And they finally uh, got to do it. I mean, I would assume that this is something that has been in the works for a while that James Gunn wanted to do, couldn't make it work. And you know, John, how things are today. I mean, with green screen, you can insert people into films. They could do whatever they needed to do. Maybe maybe he's some kind of a general or something that uh, elder statesman. Who knows what, what, what it could be? Um, some, you know, grizzled badass from the past. Maybe the former leader of the Suicide Squad that makes a cameo at the end. Maybe he kicks off John Cena's Peacemaker show. I don't know. But um, I, I'm, I can't wait. I mean, I love Sylvester Stallone. I have since I was a kid. Um, I don't know what it means. It's probably not a very big thing. 
but I think it was probably something that was always in either planned or in the back of James Gunn's mind. And I think it was probably the final piece of the puzzle that he needed. And they're probably going to lock the film soon. When I don't even know when is it summer is supposed to come out next summer. Oh, I can't remember the actual release date. Yeah. Yeah. I just love that James Gunn's in a position where he can pretty much just think stuff up and go do it. I just called Stallone. Hey, what's you know, a, what, what, be- what world do you live in where I can just pick up the phone and call Sylvester Sloan? Hey, you want to come down and appear this? I mean, that's the kind of world. Here, I'm going to give you something, Rob. I'm calling it here. You heard it here first, folks. This is an exclusive. I hate it when outlets use the term exclusive, but this yeah. is an exclusive. I am telling you right now, Sylvester Stallone is doing his cameo as the same character he played in Guardians of the Galaxy. He is uh, one of the the pirates. It's going to be the first time we're going to see the MCU and the DCU crossover. It's going to be the same character, Rob. Same guy. You know what? I don't actually believe that. But just when it happens, you heard it here first. But maybe they don't say that in the movie. But we know we know that uh, they've come to Earth before. Because that's how they picked up Star-Lord in the first place. And tell me, tell me James Gunn isn't just crazy enough to try something like that. Because you're right. Maybe they don't even say anything. Maybe he just pops up and blah, blah. And they don't actually say anything. I'm just saying, if anybody is crazy enough to try a stunt like this, I wouldn't put money on this. I'm just saying, if anybody was crazy enough to try a stunt like that, it would be James Gunn. I mean, it could be the end of the movie. A a spaceship lands, Stallone comes out. And the remaining the remaining people who survived the mission said, "I need to borrow you guys for a while," and they fly off together, <laughs> and, they end, and, and they end the movie that way. <laughs> I mean, who, you think Kevin Feige's not going to let him do that? Oh, <laughs> listen, like, like James Gunn is the only guy crazy enough to do it. Yeah, but Kevin Feige is such a nerd. I listen. I we're all we're just playing here. We're obviously just playing. Yeah. But seriously, James Gunn is crazy enough to try something like that. And Kevin Feige, I believe, is a big enough nerd that he wouldn't immediately yell no. I, I, right. I if, if James Gunn went to him with something like that, I believe Feige would go. Let me sleep on that. I like. I think it would at least be considered because it's because remember, listen. I don't believe we're going to see MCU and DCU crossover, but I remember the comics have. The comics right. on a number of occasions, Marvel and DC Comics have done crossover events before, and maybe something a little, just just a little something that doesn't actually disrupt the MCU or the DCU, and it's just a little wink of the eye to the fan. I don't know. Obviously, Dude, I don't King think it's actually going to happen. And polka dot man are in this movie. <laughs> it's yes, they are. I, I, mean, I mean, there's nothing to say. And again, if you don't say who it is, you know, you just have Stallone come out and garb whatever his costume is and the fact that he might land in a ship that we don't necessarily have to know is a spaceship. I I mean, how hilarious would that be? Yeah. Now to, to bring it back to the more normal, I mean, the reality is it is probably a shorter cameo. I don't think it's going to be anything very large. Uh, There is also a strong feeling out there that it's probably going to be that he's going to be voicing King shark. There is, there is a thought, uh, a thought out there that he's going to be voicing King shark. That's, that's definitely within the realm of possibility and, and yep. maybe even probability. So, but I don't know. I when it's James Gunn, Rob, in a world where Ben Affleck is coming back as Batman, in a world that you know Jamie Foxx is coming back as Electro, you can consider anything. 
anything is Dude, possible. I mean, if he's voicing King Shark, how great would that be? That would be pretty badass. That would be pretty good. Question is, guys, what do you think about this? Sylvester Stallone popping up in Guardians of the Galaxy. Do you think maybe he also did shoot some stuff before? Maybe it's a little bit more than a little bit of, than a small cameo. Maybe it is just a small cameo. If so, what do you think it is? Is it voicing King Shark? Is it voicing another character? Is he actually going to appear on screen? What do you guys think? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number three, shall we? And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Randy Tolliver. And Randy writes, Hey, John and Rob. In a new interview, Zack Snyder revealed that having Joker in Justice League was never his original plan. I know some people have been insisting that it was, but Zack Snyder just confirmed that it wasn't. With it now being confirmed that stuff is going into this new version that was never in the original plan, should we even be calling it the Snyder Cut anymore? Thanks. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in. And uh, yes, Zack Snyder just recently did an interesting interview where he was asked directly about, you know, Jared Leto's coming in. Had you shot stuff with him before? Was it always in the original plan? And he pretty much directly said, no, it was never part of the original plan. But he did indicate that it was something that was kind of floating around in the back of his mind and something that he had considered and thought about. This is what Snyder said directly. He says, this was one of the things that in the years since I've kind of boiled on and kind of said, like, this would be a cool thing to do. I'll be honest. I never thought the opportunity would come. And thanks to the fans, of course and this whole journey, it's happened, which is insane. All right, so we know that Joker was never part of the original plan and that he was, there were some people, Rob, who thought, and there is some basis to think this, there were some people who thought that Zack Snyder had always shot something with the Joker as a callback to that jokes on you, Batman, on the Robin costume and all that kind of stuff. Um, so that's not totally unreasonable to suspect that, but he's put that to rest. He was never in it in the original thing, never did it, blah, 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 all that stuff. All right. So can we, now that it's established, and Rob, we've been saying for a while that this is probably going to look, this is going to look different than what the original edit that Zack Snyder took and showed to Warner Brothers executives before he departed the project so many years ago, that this was ultimately not really going to be that original vision. And now it's pretty much confirmed. It's not what the original vision was. So can we still call it the Snyder Cut if it's actually different than what that original thing was? Rob, to me, I'm just going to parrot here something that I said a few weeks ago. I believe you can still call it the Snyder Cut, even if it's not the original vision. Why? Because of this. Any, and again, I've mentioned this before, but any filmmaker that makes a movie particularly and specifically when we're talking about larger tentpole kind of films like a Justice League, like a Star Wars movie, like a James Bond movie, whatever. Any big movie right now in, in today's filmmaking age, they always, always plan for, schedule, budget, and a lot time for pickup shooting and reshoots. 
Kevin Feige speaks very directly about this, that every Marvel movie plans this in advance because he described, you know, it's once you get in the editing room and you start seeing how it's actually coming together. Like when you read it on a page, it's one thing, but when you actually see it starting to piece together, you can start to think, oh, we've got a little bit of a better idea or, oh, that didn't work the way we thought it would or whatever. So you always plan little bits of reshoots, right? Every director on big tent pole projects are given that opportunity. I don't see why, if you're going to let Zack Snyder pick up Snyder Cut, I don't see why you don't allow Zack Snyder that same opportunity. Yes, the original promise of the idea of the Snyder Cut was that, hey, he's got this cut, put it out. The original vision of what he originally shot. All I'm saying is, had he never left the project, at some point, he would have been given an opportunity a couple of months after shooting is all done to go back, get on a set, have a couple of million extra bucks, do some pickup shooting, add a few things, take out a few things. He would have been given that opportunity like any other director. And therefore, I propose that had he never left the project, the Justice League that hit theaters would have been a little bit different since he would have done some reshooting than what he originally edited together and showed the Warner Brothers executive so many years ago. That was like a four-hour cut. And so, yes, on the one hand, it is true. This version of Justice League we're going to see is not going to be identical to what the original Snyder Cut was. But to me, it is still the Snyder Cut because it's hit just him doing some reshoots that any other director would have been given the opportunity to do anyway. So, yeah, it's different, but yeah, it's still Snyder Cut. So I believe both statements are true. Rob, we're now hearing Snyder confirming, yeah, there's, there's, this is absolutely new material that was never part of the original vision. Can you still st- call it Snyder Cut? Yes, <laughs> because whatever it is, it's, it's, it's Justice League. There was one Justice League that Joss Whedon finished. Now there's a different iteration of that Justice League that Zack Snyder's finishing. I mean, I, I, I think that it's semantics. Does it really matter? I mean, every movie these days has been doing pickups or reshoots or whatever you want to call them. And if he's, if he's shooting some additional material to fill in the gaps, somebody pointed out, I read somebody said, and this is, I think this is a good theory, that we see at the beginning of Batman v Superman that Wayne Manor is burned to the ground and we know that Robin is dead. I love the idea that we're going to see a flashback sequence of the Joker burning down Wayne Manor and killing Robin. And I, I just to be clear, we don't know that that's what he's filming. Just yeah, to be we clear. Don't know. Yeah, yeah, just I have to no be clear. idea if that's what he's doing. No clue. But I love that idea because it harks back to the other work that Zack Snyder has done with Ben Affleck's Batman. And it would offer some real insight into the character. And it would it would it's a nice callback to imagery imagery we've seen in Batman v Superman that I I liked and was intrigued by. And um, all of this is just enhancing Zach's vision. And I think it's all part of the process of going back. Like, look, you and I were saying from the beginning that there is no, because the, when we were saying that there was no Snyder cut, it's because we were, there were people laboring under the false impression that there was a movie that was just a few weeks away from being finished. And you and I both know that that wasn't the case. That's not how movies are made. You don't just abandon a film that's 
almost ready to go out. No, they were deep into post, but they had another eight months of work to do. And as we pointed out, millions more dollars worth of work. They're going to put $100 million into this when all is said and done. And they're creating something that is not just a cut because he's been refining it the whole time. This is something that's new. It's a hybridized thing. I mean, I think it's quite exciting, to be honest. It's going to be four hours long. Uh, I, I mean, we're getting what we're getting is somebody that was able to revise and enhance and finish their original iteration of something. So, I mean, it's more of a, it's not so much a new cut as it is maybe a reimagining, but it's not really a reimagining because they only had to work with what was already shot. Like Zack Snyder himself said, there's only like four minutes of material from these pickups. And I think it's, it's more a, you know, it's like a writer being able to do a final revision on their novel. And that's kind of what this is. And I, I, I think it's really exciting. It's never really been done before. And John, I, I got to tell you, it's, I've, for me, it's one of the highlights of 2021. I'll tell you, I really believe that. Well, I mean, I'm one of the rare, I'm one of the few people out there that I was excited about the Jared Leto thing right away because I am one of the very few human beings that actually really liked Jared Leto's Joker and so Suicide Squad. And so I, I get that extra little kick out just because I, I never thought, I mean, listen, I had, I had given up on the idea that we were ever going to see Jared Leto's Joker back in there again. And I really do quite like his Joker. Not as, not as much as Heath's, not as much as Joaquin's, but I really like his Joker for what it is. And I, I just got excited about the idea we were going to see him again. Well, I look, I think if you look at the trailers for suicide squad, they did Jared Leto's Joker dirty. There was clearly a lot more filmed of his character. I'm sure he did a lot more work than we saw in the film. So the idea that we're going to have him do more, and if it is a pivotal scene where we do see him burn down Wayne Manor and kill Robin or whatever, I just like that idea. I think that makes sense. I, I think that's definitely worth doing. And obviously, the Suicide Squad airs. Suicide Squad does exist in the same universe as Batman v Superman because we saw Affleck's Batman in that movie. So I love it. I mean, so I just, I just think what everything that's going on with the with the Zack Snyder Justice League, call it his Snyder cut, his his revision, whatever you, we're going to wind up calling it. I just think it's cool that we're getting it. So here's a question. Let's say, uh, by the way, for the record, I don't think what he's going to be shooting is to show the flashback of him killing Joe or him killing Robin or anything like that. It's a possibility, though. But here's a yeah. question. If they do make Jared Leto's appearance to show a flashback of Joker killing Robin, do they get Chris O'Donnell to play Robin? That's I, I think that's the question. Does Chris O'Donnell come come in to no. play Robin? No, no, <laughs> no, 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 oh, no, really? no, 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 <laughs> absolutely not. All right. Question here is, guys, what do you think about this whole situation? Jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. Now let's jump into our fourth and final main topic today. And our fourth and final main topic today gets submitted to us by Sam Sprill. And Sam Sprill writes, Hey, John, Victoria Alonso, executive producer for Black Panther, recently said that they will not use a digital double for Chadwick. I think it's a good move because a whole digital main character would be weird. Uh, this could confirm that the character T'Challa still has a bigger role in the MCU. What are your thoughts? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in. And yeah, listen, 
ever since, you know, Chadwick Boseman tragically passed away, uh, one of the prevailing questions that has been on a lot of people's mind is, well, where does Marvel go from here when it comes to this exciting, socially important character and successful title that they have with Black Panther? What do they do? Several options were on the table. You know, one option was, well, uh, that people talked about, just write T'Challa out and have a different character be Black Panther. Another option is recast the role and still have T'Challa in there as Black Panther. And one option that people put out there, and listen, it, it's the reason why it's not ridiculous that they put this option out there is because we've seen it being done, but is just do deep fake, put an actor in there and put Chadwick Boseman's face on it, make it CGI, do digital. So it's like it's still Chadwick Boseman. Well, that's not going to happen. <laughs> that's not going to happen at all. Because, yes, the executive producer of Black Panther did come out and say this when asked about, is there a possibility you could do Black Panther 2 with a CGI Chadwick Boseman? She said, no. There's only one Chadwick, and he's no longer with us. Sadly, our king has died in real life, not only in fiction, and we're taking a little time to see how we continue the story and how to honor this chapter of what has unexpectedly happened to us. So painful and terrible, to be honest, she said. Chadwick wasn't only a wonderful human being every day of the five years we spent together, but also, I believe, that uh, what he did as a character elevated us as a company, and he has left this, uh, he has left his moment on history. All right. There's what a great, a, what a great statement. That what is. A, a fabulous statement for, for, for her to write. And I, I listen, number one, this was, this is not surprising to me. I never really thought there was any real potential that a Kevin Feige would green light, light and okay. The idea of using a CGI Chadwick Boseman from just a practical point of view and probably from a personal point of view. But also, I'm extremely glad to hear about this because I really believe, look, we had a recent example of a star in a role pass away. And instead of recasting the character, they decided to use old footage with some CGI assist. Okay, let's, let's old footage with some CGI. Because I remember they said initially we weren't going to do any CGI Carrie Fisher. But at the end of the day, we know that there was some digital stuff that they had to do, whatever. Sure. And it just, it didn't work. It didn't work. Now, I'm not mad at them for doing it because, you know, their motivation was they were trying to honor Carrie Fisher. And so I respect that. I just thought that was the wrong way to try to honor Carrie Fisher. So I am very, very glad that they're not going to do something quite frankly, as dumb as try to CGI in Chadwick Boseman. It does once again, Rob, though, raise the question of what do they do then moving forward? And, and it sounds to me like that's still something they're wrestling through. It sounds to me like reading those comments is still something they're wrestling through. I still believe at the when it's all said and done at the end of the day, and again, I have no insider information on this. This is just me as a fan speculating. Yeah. I still believe at the end of the day, they're going to recast the role. We will still have T'Challa as Black Panther, and they're going to go out and get an actor who will honor the legacy of Chadwick Boseman, who will see this as picking up a baton, you know, not replacing 
not replacing Chadwick Boseman, but picking up the baton for Chadwick Boseman and continuing the race. Uh, as to Chal and Black Panther, who again, he, he, I can't stress enough that Black Panther. When you look back at what happened around the release of that movie, it wasn't just the unmitigated financial success of the film, but it's also the cultural impact and how special that became to a lot of people. And I think at the end of the day, they're going to do that. They still, Rob, you've raised some really good arguments before about why it is still a possibility. They may just decide to write T'Challa out, say a new character in the Wakandan you know, uh, culture picks up the mantle of Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's still a possibility. Absolutely. I still think they're going to 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 get a new player to play T'Challa, though. But, Rob, you heard these comments. What's your take? First of all, I think, you know, uh, clearly this is something that they're grappling with at Marvel. This is not something they're taking lightly. This is not something that has a quick fix. And I think that they're going to be thoughtful and they're not going to move until they have a solution that they're satisfied with. The idea that they could make a movie with a complete digital double, I mean, maybe somewhere down the line that might be something people will do. But I'd like to believe that one of the things we love about movies is to see real people inhabiting these roles. You know, uh, we don't have AI that's advanced enough to put a twinkle in someone's eye when they deliver a, a specific line reading. And I think that Chad Bozeman had, he had that in spades. Whatever that thing is that make us love movie stars that make people larger than life on the screen that we can't get enough of them. He had that. He had that in every role. And, you know, that's a tough act to follow. And while they probably will recast the role of T'Challa, uh, it's going to be somebody that they're not going to move on until they're 100 percent good about this. And I think it's going to be thoughtful. And I I don't know what their solution is going to be. I think I look, John, I think it'd be interesting in my mind to replace the character with a new a successor to taking on the Black Panther mantle. But then again, you know, that's 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 a big leap. And to recast is more along the lines of what they do in film history. I mean, how many roles have been recast? James Bond, Tarzan, Sherlock Holmes, Captain Kirk now. And it's not like somebody is too iconic that they can't be recast. So I think they're – I'm coming around to believing that they're probably going to recast somebody as T'Challa. Right. You know, it, it's funny. Uh, Aaron Aaron Cummings was on the show on Thursday, and I we were t- – somehow, some way, we got around to the topic of Spartacus. And, of course, you know, yeah. Andy Whitfield, who played Spartacus uh, in that first season, he was so good in it. Of course, he came down with cancer that ultimately took his life. And he was replaced with another actor. And they said, Aaron recited a great line that really stood out to me. And I, I think she was, I can't remember if she's saying that McIntyre, like the, the dude who replaced Andy or whether it was Andy himself, but basically she recorded them saying, you know, as an actor, I am not the story. I'm here to help tell the story. As an actor, I'm not the story. I'm here to help them tell a story. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's uh, that that actually I was so caught by that. I, I turned to Aaron and said, say that again. And, you know, she she repeated it again. Here's here's what I think may happen. Rob. I actually think there's a possibility they may have already selected a new actor. But I believe this. I believe even if they have or even if they are about to or whatever. 
I believe they are not going to announce that to the public until the very last minute that they need to announce it to the public. You know, I think they will sit on that information, whether they already have it cast or they cast it in a couple of months or or whatever. I believe they're going to sit on it until the day they announce Black Panther 2. And I think the reason they're going to do that is because they're going to allow the fans to just, you know, um, to sit with this, to sit with the loss of Chadwick Boseman until it's time to bring up guys, you know, T'Challa has somebody else now picking up the claws, somebody else taking the baton for Chadwick. And I think they're going to wait until the very last minute. I don't expect them to make any kind of an announcement for months or maybe even a year from now. So I, I don't know, Rob, if, if they have already, or if they're about to, or if they even do it all decide to cast a new actor to pick up the baton for Chadwick, do you think it's something they'll try to announce quickly um, or with a, with an attitude of this will help the healing process? Or do you think it's something like I kind of believe that they'll wait as long as they possibly can um, to let a lot of time pass? How do you think they'll approach that? I think like you, I think they're going to wait. You know, they have a lot on their plate right now. They've, they've got to get Falcon and Winter Soldier out there. They've got to get WandaVision out there. Obviously, WandaVision has been pushed to early 2021. They've got their movies, Doctor Strange. They've got Thor. They've got Black Widow and the Eternals. I mean, there's so much that they have in front of them right now that I don't think they need to be in any hurry. And they also have to figure out if they're just going to recast or how is this going to work? You know, do they do they re do they tailor the script? You know, Ryan Coogler knew how to write in the voice of Chad Bowman as uh, as Bose, Chadwick Boseman knew how to write in his voice as T'Challa. Mm, yeah. But a new actor that's recast, you can't necessarily write the same dialogue for a new actor. You've got to see how that actor would play to his strengths. And I think that there's all of those things come into play. So they are, they are in no hurry. They are in no hurry. I agree. Uh, but bottom line is for me, I'm just really happy that they're not going to, that they have said right off the bat, listen, one of the things we aren't going to do is have a CGI Chadwick Boseman. And, and I, I think that's the best, best, best news we could get out of this right now. Question is guys, what do you think about this comment? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, with all that down and out of the way, let's now move on and start taking your live questions. If you guys have a live comment or question you'd like right on the show, simply go to the tip link that's at the top of the description of this video, or you can enter it manually at streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show if it's within reason. And of course, you'll be supporting the show at the same time. And all of us here on the channel, thank you guys very, very much for that. All right, let's jump over and start getting this thing rolling here. And we'll get things going here with Ryan Evans, who writes, Hey, John, I was scrolling through IMDb and I noticed that Tamora Morrison is no longer credited as Boba Fett. Your thoughts means nothing. Uh, like, I didn't think it meant anything definitive, even when it listed him as Boba Fett. Like, it's pretty clear he is Boba Fett. But I said, just because they listed him as that, that's nothing definitive. The fact that that's not there is also not definitive. Rob, you and I had it brought to our attention uh, after the fact, something that I had missed. But in that episode of Mandalorian, when the camera goes to him and he turns around, they play some of that Boba Fett music. Yeah. <laughs> and I had missed that. I had missed that the first time it played. So I have 
Listen, is it impossible that he wasn't Boba Fett? It's not impossible, but I am pretty convinced. I have yet to see any convincing piece of evidence that he's not at this point. So I don't, so that's where we're at right now. So I don't think it means anything, Ryan. Uh, all right. Next up, we have uh, Ryan Loner, who writes one of two. For some mysterious reason, I decided to check out Jay Roach's recount about the 2000 presidential election. I had forgotten just how nutty that whole thing was. And the movie makes fantastic use of all the natural drama. And as a fun extra touch, the closest thing it had to main character uh, is the new chief of staff, Ron Klain, played by Kevin Spacey. I'll try not to hold that against him. Rob, I was just thinking about this the other day because I was, I was, you know, I was around when the 2000 election happened and it's think about this guys, wrap your head around this. The presidential election came down to 547 votes. The entire presidential election came down to 547 votes in a country of, I don't know, what's the population of the U.S. now? 300 million? Around there, a little higher, little, whatever. Yeah. But it came down to the state of Florida, and it was so close in Florida, it was 547 votes. And so they had recounts. I mean, of course, you have to have recounts with that small of a margin. They did recounts and recounts. And I, it's just, if you think other elections have been close, <laughs> nothing. And that was a nutty time, Rob. What 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 do you remember about that? Well, I, just like you said, it was pretty wacky. <laughs> I mean, other than that, I, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, it was, it was, uh, it was, uh, you know, I just never understood how we, as as the number one country in America, how we wind up in wacky situations. Sometimes I'm like, wait, what? How did this happen? Yeah, I, don't know. I know. It's strange. All right. Uh, next up here, we've got Jesse writes, everybody wants Black Widow to drop on Disney Plus. Like, come on, guys. You can already see that at one hour, 52 minutes and 50 seconds in Avengers Endgame. I'm not quite sure what that means. I know it, it makes no financial sense for them to put Black Widow on Disney Plus at all. But I, I, I don't know. I can't remember what happens at one hour, 52 minutes and 50 seconds, Jesse. But now I'm going to have to go and look that up. All right. Uh, and by the way, Jerry Carter just dropped in a, 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 a little super chat badge there on the live chat. Thank you, Jerry. Appreciate that. All right. Jesse writes. Oh, no, that was Jesse. Preston the Kryptonian writes. My comment yesterday was a reference from Jingle All the Way. That's what the name of the movie. I remember that. I'm like, that was the Yes, Jingle All the Way. One of my favorite Christmas movies of all time. Highly underrated. Thank you for following up on that, Preston. Appreciate that. Uh, let's see. Smiley Face writes. With WandaVision gone, Marvel Studios has brought in officially zero dollars of revenue to Disney for the entirety of 2020. Coming off of last year's highest grossing movies of all time, financially, that might be one of the most massive letdowns of all time by a studio. Well, I mean, no, hold on a second. You can't call it a massive letdown when they didn't have anything come out. And they didn't have anything come out through no fault of their own. Right. Like it would be a massive letdown if they put out the five or six things this year that they meant to put out, Rob, and they just completely flopped. That would be a letdown. But you don't count it as a letdown when it's a covid year and they weren't able to get any of the material out. But but Rob, like you pointed out, now that WandaVision has been bumped out of 2020 uh, by a few weeks into 2021, it's official. 
We got nothing. We got no MCU content this year. Like put that in perspective from us. Like how, like when you look back at it, at the run they were on to now have to go an entire year with nothing. Like I, I put that in perspective. Well, I mean, it's not like they haven't been making things and they do have a ton of material on deck. They have two feature films, the Black Widow and the Eternals that were supposed to come out. You've got WandaVision that they that's coming out in a couple of months. And I, I mean, after they, the year they had in 2019, they can rest. You know, I mean, it's it's not like every every studio. I mean, Marvel doesn't necessarily have to have things come out every single year. I don't think it's a letdown. I think it's just it was COVID. You know, they they it's and and they haven't stopped working at Marvel. I mean, look at all the things that they've announced and the things that they they've been moving on and creating and working on. I mean, they're they're loaded for bear. They're going to come out. It's going to be a deluge of money that they're <laughs> going to make for 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 Disney. I mean, it's it's going to be a a, a a flood. They're going to have a tsunami of cash. I mean, I don't know if they're going to make a three billion dollar movie again, but I, I I don't think you can say that you can't blame Marvel for not being able to release their Black Widow movie or their Eternals movie because of COVID. So I you can't blame them. I don't think it's necessarily a letdown. I think the entire Disney organization has been basically screwed this year. And, so is every um, studio. Yeah, every studio, but Disney. You know, their theme park business and they have a lot more. They have a lot of different. I mean, movie studios like Warner Brothers. Yeah, they're diversified, but it's not like they're diversified the way the Disney organization is diversified in terms of. I mean, they got theme parks all over the world and it's I don't think it's a disappointment. I think that they're fine. You know, look at how much money. No, Even if you look at their 23 movies in the Infinity Saga, each one has made a billion dollars. If you break it down on the averages, a billion dollars times 23 movies. If they didn't make another movie for 10 years, they would still be one of the most successful studios of this millennium. It's true. So it's true. All right, let's keep moving here. Connor writes, uh, there's an anime movie on Netflix called Children of the Sea. Imagine Kubrick's 2001 had a baby with Fantasia. Now, if I'm not mistaken, I, I know of the movie. I think this one with like the, the girl and there's like this mystery involving all marine life and all that kind of stuff. I haven't watched it, but I'm familiar with the film. There's a 15 minute sequence of a universe being created while Joe uh, Hisashi, uh, Hisashi uh, who scores most of the Ghibli films, kills it. Hope Rob sees this. Children of the Sea is so trippy. I love that it's about how how all life is connected together. I know Rob talks about how uh, Amelie captures his worldview. I love Amelie. One of the yeah. very, very, I only give like, a, when I used to give scores to movies, I only, I only gave like seven or eight movies, a perfect 10. Amelie was one of them. Uh, anyway, captures his worldview. This movie does that for me. Uh, Rashomon does too. We must do the right thing. Even during uncertainty, Rob, are you familiar with this children of the sea movie? No, but, uh, it sounds like it's right up my alley. Um, you know, having I'm reading about it right now. I'm I'm on the Wikipedia page for Children of the Sea, and uh, I I must get this. I I must have it. Again, I remember hearing about it, and like I said, if it's just the one I'm thinking of, I think it's with the girl who's like investigating this stuff. So it sounds interesting. Thank you for that recommendation, Connor. Appreciate that, man. All right, next up. 
Ahmed Z writes, no spoilers. I absolutely love this episode of The Mandalorian. It was my favorite episode to date. Gave me the chills, captured my senses and attention like no other. I hope they keep The Mandalorian franchise going even after he completes his quest. I don't think they will. I I honestly feel like they've got a shelf life planned. Like when you look at Rebels, Rob, Rebels was a show that they could have kept going. They They could have easily kept that show going right. it's a quality show that dave filoni did um it's a good show but they said no we've got a story it ends here and we're going to tell that story and we're going to move on i am like you i could continue watching just the, the adventures of the mandalorian and all his stops but i don't think that's what they're going to do i think they've got a shelf life plan for this thing and then when they want to continue they'll just continue with spinoffs which is kind of something that uh, Bob Iger kind of suggested last year, but Rob, what do you, what do you think? What do you think the shelf life here right now is for the Mandalorian? Well, I, you know what people, what what's very interesting to me is I'm reading a little bit of a backlash online and I don't quite understand it. I really like this latest episode. I mean, people are complaining about the fact that Bo-Katan had female looking body armor. Have you read any about this? There's this, there was a brouhaha on Twitter about the fact that, her armor took into account that she had breasts. And I'm like, yeah, it's form fitting. They have to be able to fight. Why wouldn't you have armor like that? And it's just nuts. But I, I think the Mandalorian could go forever. I mean, they could make it as long as they want. Are people going to get tired of it? Not if it's good, you know, uh, but I do think that they're going to have a finite amount of story here. They're going to tell their story and they're going to create another show, you know, like rebels went for what, four years. Yep. And then Clone Wars, they keep kept adding. So, but but I think that anywhere from four to seven years is probably the sweet spot for these stories. Maybe they'll go to a chapter one hundred. I don't know, but I I think that um, they could go for as long as they want, as long as they have great stories to tell. I think people are going to tune in and watch. All right, uh, next up. Uh, we've got the movie idiot who writes, Hey John, last year you inspired me to do a YouTube show. That's awesome, man. Well, today I got my first hate comment. You're just a generic John Campia. I consider this a compliment and I am honored. Thank you for the inspiration and keep up the filthy. Well, thanks so much. And listen, I believe everybody should do a YouTube channel. I, I, I really do. I think if not a YouTube channel, a blog, a podcast, I just believe people should get involved in their fandom. You know, and it doesn't matter if you have five viewers or 50 viewers or 5,000 viewers, doesn't matter. Get involved, add your voice to the conversation. And it's great just to, to play in your fandom. Don't just be a spectator of your fandom, get involved and play in the fandom a little bit. And I think that's awesome that you did that movie, idiot. All right, next up, we got Ahmed Z who writes, Hey, John, 16 hours ago, Variety released the article where they interviewed Bob Chapek and he said, we've got something in there in terms of premier access strategy. So he must be pleased with what he saw with Mulan, Black Widow next, fingers crossed. No, absolutely not. No, they were. Uh, no, I can tell you. I'm trying to think of what I can say. I can tell you for a fact, having spoken to some principals, Disney was not pleased <laughs> with what happened with Mandalorian or with Mulan, I should say, with Mulan at all, at right. all. But but keep this in mind, as big of a disaster as Mulan was for them in that whole premium access debacle. That was one attempt. You don't base your entire 
philosophy about how does a strategy work or not work based on a sample size of one. I have very little doubt that at some point in the near or distant future, you're going to see Disney take another swing at the premium access release strategy. But I think they're going to do it smarter. It ain't going to be with Black Widow. Like, I, I just don't believe at all it'll be for Black Widow. I mean, we live in a world where anything strange can happen, but it would be absolutely moronic for them to try to do that with Black Widow. So I don't think that's going to be the case. But yeah, I can tell you they were not pleased with what happened with Mulan. But I agree with them that you don't base your whole philosophy on something that has a one try sample size. They will do it again. They will do it a little bit smarter. And I think they're going to get the same results, to be honest with you. I think they're going to get the exact same results. But if you're going to form your philosophy, Rob, you've got to have more than a one attempt sample size. I don't know. What do, what do you make of all that? Well, look, obviously, like you said, it, it, it just was a disaster. And I think that, yeah, I, I mean, the, the real problem is, John, the idea of premium pay-per-view prices for movies is something that people are not used to yet. You know, we stream things, so we're already paying for a service. Why are we paying a premium price? And until until we are used to doing that, um, and I again, I don't know if you need an ad campaign or you need to educate people or whatever. People have to know, like the old video days, this movie is not going to be available on streaming for six months or even a year. So... Uh, I, I just think we're we're far away from people getting used to something like that. I don't know how you could change the perception to make people aware, but until they do that, it's it isn't gonna work. And I'm sure they're gonna there's no other choice really than to do something. I just don't know how they're gonna convey to an audience of people. I mean, we understand because we covered on the show, but you know, I, I think a lot of people really reject it. I don't know what the numbers are for Mulan, how many people actually bought into it. But as you said, Disney was not happy. I don't know how you I don't know how you change that, though. I don't know how you get people used to paying for new movies, paying a premium price when you're getting them the same way you would normally get a streaming service that you pay monthly for. And you get all the things that a streaming service has to offer. I don't know how you convince people to do it. All right, let's move on here. Next up, we have uh, Ahmed Z who writes, thinking out loud, what would be the drawback with releasing Black Widow on Disney Plus? Then when people are vaccinated within a year's time for Disney to release in theaters. Uh, so this way they are making money until they can release it in cinemas. Love. Well, two things. This this is the part. This is where it gets into a deeper conversation, Rob, that we don't really have time to go into in depth. But right. This is the problem that we as fans are going to discover because Disney is realizing we don't have to put shit on our Disney Plus streaming thing to get everybody to sign up for it. They just passed 73 million subscribers with dick all as far as original content. One season of Mandalorian. Remember, they, they hit that number before the second season start. One season of Mandalorian and Hamilton with a very impressive library. They've got a, they got a great library. But Dis we have told Disney and Disney has learned we don't have to put shit original on Disney. They're still going to, but I'm saying they have now learned we don't have to. 
We don't have to put anything original on and we will still get Rob. They have more than one third of the subscribers of Netflix in just one year. Yeah. One year without putting for all intents and purposes, nothing original on. They have a great library and they realize, yeah. So what is the advantage? Disney right now is looking at that and say, so why would we want to put Black Widow on Disney Plus? What We've got 73 million subscribers. We've exceeded every expectation model that we possibly had for Disney Plus in one year without putting out crap as far as original content goes. Tell me again why we need to put up Disney Plus, why we got to put up Black Widow. There's no advantage. There's no upside. They're going to make, and if you put it out on Disney Plus now, no one's going to go watch it in theaters a year from now. That that just doesn't work. I don't know, Rob, your, your take on that. Well, like you said, they don't need to do these things because I think, look, these movies are expected to do a certain amount theatrically before they go to Disney Plus. And Disney Plus, remember, you're not selling just one movie on Disney Plus. You're selling all service. You're selling the entire catalog, a, a back catalog of all of Disney's movies. So when they put a movie onto the service, that movie is, is already expected to have gone through, especially, if the, I mean, a theatrical release through that. I mean, they want Black Widow to make a billion dollars. That's what they're expecting now. That's the average of the MCU films. That billion dollars is above and beyond what it would make, what it would bring the subscribers it would bring to Disney Plus. So putting something on Disney Plus, they get there isn't there's no necessarily no causality between putting Black Widow on Disney Plus because they're already getting those numbers. So if they put on Black Widow, are they going to get a billion dollars worth of new subscribers? Probably not. And they're expecting to get that billion dollars and the amount of money that new subscribers who want to sign up because of Black Widow will bring them. But that's not going to make them uh, – those new subscribers aren't worth a billion dollars. Mm. The, the, the collectivity of everything on Disney Plus is worth that. The, the, the family audience, every kid in the world has to sign up. Every parent's got to get their kid Disney Plus because of all the stuff that's on it. And you need these theatrical releases – to not only pay for those films themselves, but also make the profit that they're expected to make. So a theatrical release, losing that for these big movies is a huge deal to the studios. It is a massive financial blow. And just throwing something on, no one's going to go back to the movie theater to see Black Widow en masse months after they've been watching it on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. Let me ask you this, Rob. Let me, and now I'm asking you to, to guess and take a spec and to speculate here, but if you take all the people in America right now who are truly excited for the Black Widow film, right? Not not a casual whatever, but if you take everybody in America right now who would count themselves as being really excited for a Black Widow movie, what percentage of those people don't already have Disney Plus? Because to me, if you are this, here's my rationale. If you're somebody who's really excited about Black Widow. That tells me you're probably really into the MCU. And most people I know, and I'm just speaking in my own my own spheres, but most people I know who are really into the MCU, they got Disney Plus already. So I, I'm just yep. curious, what percentage of people that are really excited for Black Widow don't already have Disney Plus? Where would you guess that number is? 25% or less. 
Because like I was going to say said, the exact same thing. Yeah, l- what you just said is exactly right. I mean, the demographic that's excited for Black Widow is the same demographic that's watching The Mandalorian every week, which means they already have Disney Plus. Yes. Yep. So it's it's a big thing. Anyway, sorry, we spent a lot of time on that, but again, that's a very very big issue that we'll probably talk a lot about over the coming months as well. Oh right, yeah. Christian thirty five writes, "Hey John, greetings from Denmark. The movie Ambulance with Michael Bay will remake uh, that Michael Bay will remake. So we talked the other day about how uh, uh, Michael Bay is remaking a movie called Ambulance with Jake Gyllenhaal. It's said to be in the style of a '90s style action film. Uh, we'll remake a flop in Denmark, but it does have an interesting concept. One the movie must be in one location two it must be real time three only four in the scene can can bay do that by well a couple things to keep in mind number one bay doesn't need to do anything just because it's a remake of something else doesn't mean you have to do it exactly the way that remake did so maybe he will have it in one location maybe it will be in real time maybe but he doesn't have to so he can do whatever he wants with it um so can bay do it yes bay can do it uh, like I said, I I get the hate on Michael Bay because Michael Bay has done a lot of stuff that I hate too. But everybody forgets he's made some pretty good stuff. Michael Bay has made some pretty good stuff. I am an unapologetic fan of Armageddon. I absolutely love The Rock. I think his first Transformers movie was great. I think Pain and Gain is underrated. So, like, I, I believe Michael Bay makes some good stuff. Is he capable of doing that? Yes. How will it turn out and what will his approach be? We'll have to wait and see, Christian. All right. Uh, Giovanni, the movie canon writes, when you published your novel, did you pay a large fee to do it on Amazon? From my understanding, you used Amazon to publish it. I was curious since I'd like to do something uh, like that in the future. Also, I advertised your documentary on my Instagram page. Well, thank you for that, Giovanni. Yeah, listen. So I have, let me see if I can bring it up here. Um, uh, so I have... A, for some people may not realize this, I wrote a novel. <laughs> I wrote a novel a while ago uh, called The Pride. Uh, called The Pride. And let me see if I can uh, bring it up here. I'm not sure if I can. I think I probably will be able to. There we go. Okay, so I wrote a novel uh, a couple years ago called The Pride. Uh, is it willing Pulitzer Prizes? No. But am I really proud of it? Yes, because I actually planned and thought through this book for for a number of years. And I really don't talk about it much on here, but I wrote this book called The Pride. And so instead of going the traditional publishing route, which let's be honest, I don't even know if any publisher would have touched my book. I mean, who the hell am I? So I there is a way on Amazon that you can upload all the files to Amazon, market your book, and then they print the book for you, Rob. They print it for you as people order it. So, you know, when I launched it on the first day, and I think we sold something like, I don't know, like a thousand or 2,000 copies on the first day, which was great. Then they print a thousand or 2,000 copies and they ship it out for you. I didn't have to pay Amazon anything. Amazon, like anything on Amazon, keeps a cut. They keep a cut of the sales, but I didn't have to pay any upfront fees. Uh, for it. I believe Schnepp used Amazon as well for his uh, for the death of Superman lives what happened, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, or it might have been another service. But the DVD and Blu-ray companies are a lot like that, too, where you can do an on-demand publishing service for like your movie where you don't actually have to pay anything up front. That company will cover all the costs of, you know, printing the DVD, shipping it out and all that kind of stuff. 
but they also keep a cut of what the sale is. So it didn't cost me any front money. Rob, have you ever, with all the stuff that you've done, have you ever uh, had to dabble in the self-publishing, whether it's video or whether it's uh, like printed material at all? No, I mean, the only time, not not like this, um, I, I did work on a Star Trek fan film project, uh, the Axnar project, and the first film that we made, Prelude to Axnar, I produced the Blu-ray for it, and it was kind of, I you know, I did everything for it, and we, we sold it direct, and um, it was a donor perk for people who donated for the project, but that was the only time I've ever produced Soup to Nuts uh, something <laughs> that we published that I, that I made and it was fun. I mean, I, I've always wanted to do something more like that. I, I, I think that this model is, is self-publishing this way is increasingly, you know, they're, they're, they're com comic publishers like Ethan Van Skyver. He did a, a crowdfunding campaign and published his own stuff, uh, and made like a million dollars for a cyber frog comic. And the problem, I think, with going the Amazon route, and you could probably speak to this, is that they do take quite a big cut. And it's hard, It's hard, I think, going the self-publishing route for creators to actually see a return on their investment in both time to create the project and then what they sell it for. Right. Now, the, the advantage, of course, is there's no upfront costs. Right. You know, unlike the traditional, you know, book publishing route, which can be a very expensive endeavor. So and it really all depends. I mean, if you think you're going to sell five million copies, then, yeah, you don't do the self-publishing route because the more you sell, the more the cut. If you're going to sell a more modest number of copies like like I did for my book, it actually worked out actually in my benefit to do it that way. So it all depends on what is best for you. Thanks for asking about that, man. That's an interesting question. All right. Next up, Andrew Nathan writes. One of two. Hey, John, Fabian Wagner, the cinematographer for the Snyder Cut, dropped a picture online showing the reshoots. And it looks to me more than just some uh, it looks to me more than just some quick pickup shots. Uh, there looks to be a whole set built for the reshoots. And it's hard to imagine that Warner Brothers would spend 80 million dollars just for a one off movie. In my opinion, it's starting to look and feel like there are like they are uh, backing Zach's original Justice League plans. What do you think? Also, Wagner confirmed that Zach is going to drop a big bomb on November 17th. Well, here's the thing, Andrew. <clears throat> um, pickup shots or the 34th day of shooting of primary photography, they're going to look exactly the same. If you are shooting film that's going to appear in your movie, then what your set looks like on day 34 of primary photography or day one of some quick pickup shots, your set's going to basically look the same. Because it's got to meet the same quality standards. It's got to be the same, like if, whatever, if it's going to end up in your movie the same way. So I don't think there's anything you can glean or deduce from, I saw a picture of a set and the set looked like this. I personally don't think there's anything to see there uh, or, or interpret from that. Rob, do you look at that any other way? No, I mean, I, look, they're, they're, they're spending a great deal of money to do this. And I think they're they're pulling out all the stops and they're doing it the way that they that Zack Snyder wants to be done. I think they're being he's been giving given a lot of latitude. Remember, once this moved over to HBO Max, this has become sort of I think it's its own thing. It's not just it's not just uh, Zack Snyder redoing or reconstituting his original cut of the movie. He's now creating a four hour miniseries based on previously existing material 
for HBO Max. They're thinking about this as brand new programming. It might be the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League, but HBO Max is looking at this as one of their prestige releases of 2021. So they're going to make sure that he has everything he needs to get as many subscribers and make this – as far as they're concerned, the original Justice League probably doesn't even exist. This is all brand new for them. This is one of their biggest things. They're all in on it. That's what I think. And so they want to spare no expense. All right. Let's move on here. Next up, we've got uh, – thanks for sending that in, Andrew. Next up, Terry Giordano writes, Is it me or does every time Mando makes you pinch yourself? The pure enjoyment of this show puts me so over the moon as a Star Wars fan. It's just incredible. I watch with my 12-year-old daughter, and what a way to enjoy Star Wars together. Be safe. Be well. Well, listen, I'll tell you what, Terry. Here's the thing. Even when it's something I don't like, like uh, Star Wars The Last Skywalker or Rise of Skywalker, I should say, um, or whether it's Clone Wars or whatever, or even the prequels, whenever a new piece of Star Wars content comes out, I pinch myself because you got to understand I grew up in a reality, Robin, and I'm sure you can relate with this. I grew up, Rob, in a reality where Star Wars was done. There is no more Star Wars. Right. You know, Return of the Jedi had happened and greatest movie of all time. Uh, Return of the Jedi had happened and that was it. Star Wars was done. And now if we're going to enjoy Star Wars, it's going to be some EU novels, maybe uh, watching 3PO and R2 on the moon of Endor <laughs> uh, with Ewoks or whatever. I And so when anything comes out, and, and there are some people, Rob, that uh, aren't old enough yet to appreciate what that was like. So like even for me coming off something that I really disliked, like The Last Skywalker. Um, or I keep saying the last Skywalker, the rise of Skywalker coming out of something that I really disliked, like rise of Skywalker. I still will pinch myself whenever another star Wars thing comes out, because I just spent so much of my life living in a reality where there was no more star Wars. <clears throat> and so, yes, I do pinch myself a little bit whenever a new episode of Mandalorian pops up, but the same is true with any star Wars content that comes, even if it ends up being something that I don't enjoy that much. Um, so I do broad, maybe you can speak to that a little bit. John, I, I think you said it. I, also, I'll take it back even further. I grew up in a world where Star Trek was over. Right. You know, when I was a little kid, Star Trek was like my religion, and there was never going to be any more Star Trek. Star Trek was something that was canceled after three seasons. It was never a huge hit when it was on. It was discovered in syndication, and uh, it wasn't until I was beginning to be a teenager that they're like, there's going to be a – because of Star Wars, Star Wars came out of nowhere, and like you said – Return of the Jedi was it. And remember, in the la latter part of the 80s, they didn't even sell Star Wars toys anymore. You know, they, they all went out of it. Star Wars fell away from pop culture almost entirely. I mean, people love Star Wars, but every time new movies came out in the late 80s was totally different. And it wasn't until into the 90s when they when Dark Horse picked up the Star Wars license and did Dark Empire and Timothy Zahn wrote the, the Thrawn trilogy that Star Wars was coming back. Then in the mid-90s, they had the Shadows of the Empire event where they had everything except a movie. They had novels and video games and toys and all that, but no movie. And it wasn't until 1997 when they did the Star Wars special editions, the precursor to the to the, the prequel trilogy, I mean, 
you're looking, it was a long time since 1983. You know, you're looking at 14 years later, you get the special editions. Uh, I mean, that was pretty crazy. So for a decade and a half, and you're still just getting a revised version of Star Wars Empire Jedi. And it wasn't until 1999, you know, which is a long time to wait. Then we finally got new Star Wars and Star Wars took off again. So for our youth, John, we got Star Wars. We loved it. And then it disappeared. It was almost gone for good. And to have it come back, amazing. What's happened with Star Trek is equally amazing. I just wish that both that this sequel trilogy for Star Wars and Star Trek uh, are better than they are. Right. I think the Mandalorian has become like last week's episode of the Mandalorian. I found like, Oh, this was really satisfying as a star Wars fan. And I've enjoyed rebels and I've enjoyed clone wars. And it's like, Hey, seeing Bo-Katan live action. How cool is that? Kind of bringing all the star Wars threads together. And now we're going to get a Sokotano, not your favorite character. I know, but it's amazing that we, I, I'm like you, I'm just amazed that there's even star Wars still being made. Yeah, it's crazy. Like I said, you, you, you pinch yourself with every new thing that comes out. All right. Uh, next up, uh, Calvin Cervero writes, John, people always say they don't like that Stark created the Spider-Man suits. But let's be honest, only Stark builds his own suit in the MCU. Cap, his government made it. Thor, a tailor on Asgard made it. <laughs> well, we don't know that. He might have made it himself. Uh, Quicksilver uh, bought Under Armour from a, from a Target, etc. Yeah, you know what's funny? You bring up something interesting, though, Calvin. And Rob, this is true. One of the things that always, especially when the movies, when comic book movies started to come out, one of the things that really stood out to me is like, okay, so-and-so discovers he has superpowers and now he's embraced his identity. But wait a minute, where did the costume come from? Like that, that has happened a lot. It's like, really, just because you're good at fighting, how do you build that super advanced, intricate, like, do you, how did you suddenly become a tailor and make your own Spider-Man suit? How did you suddenly become a tailor and make your own Batman suit? How did you suddenly, you know, that's always been kind of a running funny thing, funny thing for me. But I mean, again, yeah, I, I admit it as much as I love the MCU and I love the new Spider-Man films and I love Tony Stark and I love all of it. It still bothers me. That Tony Stark made the Spider-Man suit and made a little, a little cute little Iron Man Junior suit for little Peter Parker. It still bothers me, Rob. I know you love it though. You've got the hot toy, do you not? I do. I have the Iron Spider hot toy. Actually, there's now two. There's the video game version and there's the MCU version. And look, I, I mean, Tony Stark used tech. You know, he used his. He was fabricating. We saw that really cool machine in uh, far from home that designed a spider suit or that made the spider suit. So, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't mind that, but yeah, I, I, I love the iron spider suit in the MCU. I love the iron spider character in the comics. You know, I love when Peter Parker was given that armor in the comics and I thought they did a wonderful job designing it. That's one of my favorite hot toys figures, by the way. Uh, I'm not going to die. I hate it, but I'm not going to deny the design was pretty damn good. It's a yeah. pretty damn good design. Even I can't deny it looks pretty good. All right. Justin Lopez writes today marked the 15th anniversary of the death of former WWE champion Eddie Guerrero. Has it been 15 years? Holy crap. He was Sasha Banks's idol and inspiration to become a wrestler. And on this day, she made her uh, acting debut, which is pretty damn cool. Love this episode. And then, of course, Sasha Banks appeared in the latest episode of thing. And she's a really good wrestler, Sasha Banks. Um, I cannot believe it's been 15 years, Justin. Oh, you know what? I still remember the WrestleMania because I used to watch wrestling a lot. 
I still remember the WrestleMania where both where these the two best friends, Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit, uh, both won their titles at the same WrestleMania and, and they shared the ring together. It was such an iconic moment. And then of course all the tragedy that then came after, uh, you know, with Chris Benoit and everything, but, but yeah, I still can't believe that was 15 years ago, Justin. Absolutely nutty. All right. Freddie writes Campia. This is the way one. I got chills when Bo-Katan mentioned the dark saber Two, the sound of her helmet made when she took it off near the end, reminded me of when Vader's helmet, uh, was, was out on three. Do you think we'll see baby Yoda's force abilities again? Um, yes, Rob, I don't know what you think about this, but there are certain things I don't think is going to happen with the baby Yoda character this season. Will we see force powers again? Yeah, we got five episodes left. I think we will see, as Carl Weathers would say, magic hands. I think we'll see him again. Do, what do you think the odds are that we get to see baby Yoda using a little bit of force ability again this season? A hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to – Baby Yoda's going to use force powers. It's, it's 100%. Yeah. All right. There you go. You heard it, guys. 100%. I, I don't think it's much lower than that, to be honest with you. All right. Spud Queen writes, saw an article suggesting LeVar Burton as the next Jeopardy host. What do you think? I think it'd be pretty perfect. Big fan since my uh, partner has introduced me to your show, and he's been a big fan since the Collider days. Thanks for your content. Well, thank you for that, Spud Queen. Yeah, Rob, I don't know if you saw this, but there was an article that even suggested – that LeVar Burton, of course, he was Jordy LaForge um, on Star Trek Next Generation, that he might actually end up being the next host of Jeopardy. He might even be the front runner right now to do that. Whether or not that's perfect, I can't say that. It's not like LeVar Burton has hosted 18 other game shows and has a wealth of experience at it and blah, blah, blah. So I'm not going to say it's perfect. But uh, hey, Mr. Reading Rainbow. I mean, why not? I, I Listen, I don't know what makes a great game show host. So, I don't know. Maybe LeVar Burton would be perfect for it. I don't know, Rob, because I, I don't follow Jeopardy. I don't know if he's got some kind of connection with the show that goes back a while and it, there's something poetic about it. But if you get LeVar Burton to do it, I'm, I got no problem with it. What do you think? Well, you know, like you said, I don't know what it, what it means to be a great game show host, but it is a particular skill set. And Alex Trebek, there was something about his voice and his delivery that gave Jeopardy a certain gravitas. You know, Jeopardy was always the thinking man's game show or the thinking person's game show. And I think a lot of that had to do with Alec Trebek's delivery. Now, I think LeVar Burton is a good actor, but I I don't know if he if he's right for being the host to Jeopardy. You've got to have that, whatever that thing is, I'm not saying he doesn't have it, but it's it's a skill set. And I don't know if – I don't think everybody – I don't think every actor – you could be the greatest actor in the world, but that doesn't mean you're going to be a good host for Jeopardy. I'd yeah, have to I see agree. it. We'll have to see. We'll have to see. Uh, Paco uh, San Miguel writes, hey, John, talking about Disney Plus subscribers increase, it is launching in Mexico and other countries next Tuesday. I didn't realize it wasn't in Mexico yet. Uh, and like me, many already subscribed. Can't wait to see Mandalorian. Have a great weekend, man. For those of you who still live in countries that where Disney has not yet launched it. I, I can't even imagine hearing everybody, especially if you're a Star Wars fan, I can't imagine what it must have been like for a year hearing everybody going, oh my God, Mandalorian, Mandalorian, Mandalorian. Like it is like me, Mandalorian. Ah! 
and they get freaking out. And it's like, gee, thanks. I, we, I can't watch it. Even if I want to, I can't watch it. They, that must suck. I'm so happy for those countries that are going to be getting the service now. So good on you. I hope you enjoyed MD. I hope it was worth, or uh, Paco, I hope it was worth the wait. All right. MD writes, John, with Disney Plus, as a parent, I can tell you that it has been an absolute godsend. It's pretty much the only streamer I can let the kids roam free on without any worry. Many of my parent friends say the same. My kid watches The Lion King three times a day. And you know what? Here's the thing, MD. And Rob, you and I have talked about this. I think MD just touched on something incredibly strong. Not just that. It's about the library. It's about the library. It's about the library. But more than that, this speaks, you know, whenever things come up about Bob Iger's absolute ironclad laser focus on his relationship with parents, with families, you know, a lot of people go, I don't, I don't get why uh, Disney Plus just doesn't put Deadpool on uh, Disney Plus where we're all adults here. We can, because you don't understand Bob Iger's brilliance and his laser focus on families. And if he says to families, hey, Disney Plus, it's good for your kids. I mean, every piece of content is has got to be up to parental discretion for sure. Absolutely. But you can feel safe knowing we are not going to expose your kids to things that you absolutely 1000% don't want them exposed to. And or that, you know, any average parent wouldn't want them exposed to. And we're going to be safe like that. And that's, Rob, why also it extends that philosophy of his extends beyond that. That's why we don't have an R-rated Deadpool in the MCU. Because Bob Iger talked about this. The last thing he wants to have is have his kid being able to go to an MCU film and see Deadpool. Yay! The Deadpool. And then they put out a Deadpool standalone movie. Well, great. We'll take little Johnny to go see that Deadpool. And he's getting butt-rimmed on Women's Day by Marina Bakaran. And, and the, also those are, what the F, Disney? You 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 put him in this. And, and people just don't get it. Why Bob right. Iger thinks that way. And I think MD just gave a great example. And I don't have kids, Rob, but yeah, I got to imagine if I did, Disney Plus would be our best friend, would it not? Uh, yes. But like you just pointed out, uh, the thing is, Disney Plus is still a family-friendly platform. You know, they're talking about making a like an R-rated section that you need a code to get into, which they probably will do. But for the most part, like our reader or our viewer said, having having Disney Plus for their kids is a godsend. They're not going to muck that up. That's the whole point. Disney as a brand, what does it say to you? John, what is the first thing whenever you hear the word Disney? What is the first image that is conjured up for you? Cartoons. Yeah, Cinderella, the, Snow White, Lion King, Aladdin. The first thing I, you know what the first thing I think about? I think about Mickey Mouse as the Sorcerer's Apprentice <laughs> in Fantasia. Mickey Mouse with the wizard's hat on, with the with the wand, and magic swirling around him. I mean, I think Mickey Mouse, but yeah, I think about Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, Goofy, Pluto. You know, all of those characters. That to me is where Disney begins, and and as a brand, that's what they're selling. And they're selling it to, to kids of all ages. They're not going to mess around with that. Um, I agree. I agree. Not as long as uh, Bob Iger is drawing breath. All right. Uh, next up, 
Uh, Dan Murphy writes, hey, John, I was just watching your Thursday show with the lovely Aaron Cummings, and I just wanted to write in to say I'm very sorry for your loss of your grandfather and that you weren't able to visit him. Please take care. Love your show. Uh, thanks for that. I, was, I, I told the story that my grandfather, my no, no, uh, recently passed, who I am named after, my, my grandfather, Giovanni, I was named after him. Uh, just passed away. And unfortunately, because of COVID and the restrictions in Canada, where if you come into Canada from the US, you immediately have to go into two weeks of quarantine. And uh, so I couldn't go to my grandfather's funeral, which which really sucks. So I thank you for that, Dan Murray. I really appreciate the well wishes, man. Thank you for the kind thoughts. All right. Alan Dale writes, if the Snyder Cut is a success, do you think the DCEU could move to HBO Max and the DC standalone films remain on the big screen? How likely is this? Thanks for the best uh, movie show on YouTube, John. I I don't think they're going to do anything like that. I, I honestly think they're going to probably adopt an MCU approach or a Disney approach where they'll decide on a project by project basis. What is something that should go to HBO max? What is something that should go into theatrical? But again, keep this in mind at some point, HBO is going to go. Why would we put this only out on HBO max? We can just put it on HBO max after it does a theatrical release. So I, I don't know, but no, I don't think I see them adapting a, a strategy of, Rob, unless I'm wrong, I don't see them adopting a strategy of anything DCEU we put on HBO Max and anything that's standalone we put theatrically. Like, I don't think that makes any sense for them. Do you? No, I don't. I don't either. I don't remember theatrical, at least when all the theaters are open that we used to have that that world we used to live in. There's a lot of money to be made there. And, you know, putting something on 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 streaming already means you're going if if you're going to do it first, it means you leave all that money on the table. Who wants to do that? Nobody. I agree. All right. Uh, thanks for sending that in, Alan. All right. Next up. And anonymous viewer writes, John, some post-pandemic TV shows are acknowledging it while others seem to be pretending that it doesn't even exist. TV needs to be an escape, but it also seems a bit irresponsible to pretend this worldwide horror story is not going on. How do you feel? I Listen, movies and television shows tell stories. They tell stories. If they want the world in which their story is told is a world where, you know, there's not a pandemic, then you tell that story. You tell that story that way. You know, you know, we live in a world where somebody is, you know, let's go back to like 2000, let's say 2010 when I believe, yeah, Barack Obama was president in 2010. So if you go back to 2010 and you look at a movie uh, some movie or TV show where they've got a president of the United States and it's not Barack Obama. It's, it's a fictitious character. Well, is that not, you know, so I really, I don't know. So yeah, I've popped on some TV shows where it's like, okay, clear their, their characters. And this show is taking place in a world very, very similar to the real, to the real world. And there's the pandemic and they're kind of associating that. Is it, irresponsible to do a show where saying no in the world that we tell this this isn't happening in this world i don't believe it's irresponsible at all look movies and tv shows are there to tell stories it's just that simple i don't believe they have a responsibility to do anything you know they have a job to tell a story and tell a good story and if they want to incorporate things then they can incorporate them. And if they don't, then they don't. I, I don't believe there is a responsibility to do one or the other. Tell a story, tell a good story, and then move on. So that, that's kind of my take on Anonymous. And somebody may have a different opinion in that. And that's perfectly cool. I respect that. But that's kind of my approach to that. All right. Kara Black writes, you are in the Imperial military. 
Would you rather be a regular stormtrooper, a scout trooper, a shadow trooper, Brock armor, stealth stormtrooper, shore trooper from Rogue One, death trooper, imperial officer, tie pilot, royal guard, or a flame trooper? Um, <laughs> I would say royal guard for two reasons, Rob. Number one, cooler outfits. So I take I take the uh, the red guard. The other thing is much much longer life expectancy. Uh, because there's not many of them. How often do we see them on screen? Very rarely. That means they have a long life expectancy. Stormtroopers, they're and gone very quickly. So that's what I would pick. Which one would you pick, Rob? I want to be an Imperial officer, man. Give me the, uh, I want Just to run not a the Admiral. Destroyer. Just no. not the well, Admiral. I wouldn't, be, then you I die. wouldn't be an Admiral that I wouldn't be an Admiral that made stupid mistakes. <laughs> and your video froze on us, Rob. We still hear it your did. audio. Yeah, we still hear your audio, but your vi video froze, which is perfectly fine because, as it turns out, we have hit 1130, so I know you got to run anyway. So, Rob, thanks so much for being here, and uh, even though you're completely frozen in time at this moment. But in the meantime, where can, it is strange. Where can people follow you and your adventures online? Well, apparently I don't move anywhere. I'm just frozen in time, so you can't follow me at all. But I, you can find me on Twitter at BurnettRM. Find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett or uh, just, uh, yeah, or Robert Meyer Burnett. And on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work, where our uh, first annual Intergalactic Imagination Connoisseurs Film Festival is still going on. And in a half an hour at noon today, another brand new movie has a world premiere and it is called, well, I won't say what, anything about it. You just got to tune in and check it out. It's really good. All right, Rob, thanks as always for being here, my friend. And I will talk to you again tomorrow. Have a good one. Sorry, I'm frozen. Oh, no problem. Just we'll, we'll let it go. We'll let it go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, okay. that was the one and the only Mr. Robert Meyer. Now let's keep on moving here and we'll get on with more of your live questions. All right. So we keep things going here with... Oh, and by the way, I just want to say thanks to I Need Some Old School who just sent in a uh, super ch or a chat badge on the live chat. Thank you so much for that, man. I appreciate that. Okay, uh, next up, we have the nerd Aaron who writes, I figured out the secret, the secret of WandaVision. It's all about trying to prevent the MCU from being taken over by Tommy Westfulverse. I'll be honest with you. I don't, I don't get the reference. So over my head. All right. Scott Bailey writes, I uh, missed out on you and Anne live for Mandalorian talk, but absolutely having a blast listening to you to talk star Wars. Yeah. For those of you who don't know on Fridays, uh, Anne does Anne and I every Friday at 4 PM Pacific standard time, we do a Mandalorian, uh, spoiler discussion. And, uh, I love doing videos with Anne and we had a fun discussion this week. So thank you so much for that, Greg. I appreciate that, man. All uh, right. Greg also writes Thor talk. I know even Stan Lee has said that it's an uh, interpretation of how to pronounce Mjolnir. I catch myself out loud correcting you every time you say it, but you're honestly not wrong. Of course, it's interpretation. I pronounce it Molnir. Molnir. I've, I've always heard it as Mjolnir. Of course, then the she mispronounced it as meow near or meow meow whatever but yeah listen nobody looks at that word and says it correctly instantly and maybe someday i'll hear it differently but i've always interpreted it as mjolnir not molnir but i don't know if i'm right maybe i'm wrong hmm, could be but you're right greg it is kind of interpretational all right Suthius writes hey guys 
Did Strange lie? Did he lie about the only one outcome of them winning? Perhaps there were numerous outcomes where they could win, but would have more casualties. So did he say there was only one because it had the least casualties, that being Tony? Well, I mean, it's an interesting thought, Suthius, but you're, it's, it causes or it requires us to make an assumption, right? It requires us to make an assumption, and I don't, I, I don't see anything in the movie that suggests that Strange deliberately lied to Tony about that. It's possible Strange could have been wrong, but I didn't see anything in the movie that suggested to me that, uh, that Stephen Strange deliberately misrepresented what it was he knew to Tony. So, I mean, anything is possible, but I don't see anything there to suggest or why we would believe that. So I'm going to go with no, he didn't lie. All right. Suthius also writes, after all, Strange did say that he wouldn't hesitate to let either Tony or Peter die if it came down to them or saving the time stone, saving the universe. The Avengers are, are all about we don't trade lives. Uh, but still, uh, but if Strange really did lie about the outcome, then he would be the only one who was willing to trade the life of Tony for the lives of everyone else in the universe. And uh, if and only if all this is possible, I wonder if it'll come back to haunt him again. I don't think there's anything there. Yeah, but you got to remember. Strange told him that, hey, listen, to protect the stone, because protecting the stone means protecting all of reality, Right. To protect the stone, I would gladly sacrifice you or the kid or whatever. Yes, but then what happened? He went into his little trance. He went into his little trance and saw all the possibilities and understood that was the only way. That was the only way. And so, whereas just a few minutes earlier in the movie, he's saying, I would let you and you die and everything to protect the stone. Now he is willing to give up the stone because he knew it's the only way this is going to work. This has to happen to get to that one only outcome. So I believe that actually points to the fact that Tony or uh, Stephen wasn't lying. So no, I, I, I don't believe he was lying. Interesting theory though, Suthius. All right, Caleb writes, why do you think uh, John uh, McTiernan isn't thought of as one of the great directors or at least one of the great popcorn uh, populist fair directors? Predator, Die Hard, Hunt for Red October, Last Action Hero, Thomas Crown Affair. He has a special place in my heart. You know what? It, this It's funny that you bring that up because it was just, let me see if I can find the name of the guy. Hold on a second here. It was just the other day uh, that a friend of mine brought up another director. I'm trying to remember who it was here. That was like, hey, you know what? This director directed this, this, and this, and we never talk about him. Um, and it's like, oh my God, that's right. And I cannot find where that is. But anyway. Uh, let's go back. Let's go over to John's IMDb page for a second here, because not only that, Thirteenth um, Warrior, which is a movie I don't like, but I, I, I'm always stunned how many people really, really do like it. As you mentioned, the Thomas Crown Affair, which is great. Medicine Man, which is a movie we talked about the other day. I thought Medicine Man was a very underrated Sean Connery movie. I like Medicine Man. I thought that was actually pretty good. So you're right. I don't know why he doesn't come up more in conversations. I really don't. Now, he hasn't directed a movie in 17 years. He hasn't directed anything in 17 years, which is really interesting. I mean, he did Rollerball and Basic wasn't, honestly, Basic wasn't all that good. Um, if it's the John Travolta one I'm thinking of. 
Yes, it is the John Travolta one I'm thinking of. Yeah, that wasn't very good. Rollerball, I didn't think was very good. I didn't like 13th Warrior. So to me, he kind of put out three stinkers in a row, and maybe that that ended things. But anyway, see, I've even got some people in the live chat saying, John, 13th Warrior is great. I thought it was a bad film. But I know a lot of people that think it's great, so you're not alone in that. Anyway, that's a great one to bring up, Caleb. All right, next up, Bill Hauser writes, I met him in a, in a swamp down in Dagobah. Oh, this is uh, Weird Al Yankovic's Yoda song. I met him in a swamp down in Dagobah where it bubbles all the time like a giant. <laughs> it doesn't say Zevia Cola, though. It says carbonated soda. S-O-D-A, soda. I'm convinced Baby Yoda is a mogwai uh, that was turning into a gremlin but was cured halfway through. Wish they saved guest roles as a surprise, though. Well, I mean, look, the reality is this. In today's world, where everybody walks around with an audio-visual global communications device in their pocket, cell phones, in a world where every single person on the planet basically walks around with an audio-visual global communications device in their pockets, it's incredibly difficult to keep, especially a celebrity appearing in something completely under wraps, right? And sometimes... It's just that a news outlet finds out and reports it. Like sometimes it's not even the studio makes the announcement. It's that one of the big trades because they know everybody finds out, gets the information that so-and-so is going to appear in this and blah, blah, blah. And it comes out. A lot of people in online fandom forget that sometimes it's not a studio that announced something, but a, a, a trade outlet finds out about something and reports on it. You know, I hear people, why did Disney announce this? Well, technically they didn't announce this. Variety found out about it and they reported it, you know, so there's that. So it's it's really difficult. It's difficult. But I mean, I'm just amazed they're able to surprise us as often as they do. Like how they kept baby Yoda under wraps for so long. I just don't know. All right. Man of Steel rules who taps in $20. Thank you so much for supporting the channel on that level, man. I appreciate that, dude. Um, I finally got around to watching Trial of the Chicago 7. Absolutely brilliant movie. How they meshed in the actual old footage with the new media made it powerful. I felt empathy for the characters, as did I. I felt empathy for the characters. Um... Uh, very moving and emotional movie. 10 out of 10 for me. Yeah, listen, I don't give numerical scores to movies anymore, but like I will say, Man of Rules, Trial of the Chicago 7, especially as a Netflix original movie, because nine times out of 10, those suck. Trial of the Chicago 7 is my favorite movie of the year. It's, it's just damn brilliant. Damn brilliant. What Sorkin did with that is incredible. Sasha Baron Cohen, Eddie Redmayne, I mean, everybody in the movie did just an absolute knockout stellar job. Uh, it tells a powerful story using the actual historical events while also taking creative liberties where they needed to to enhance the story. Uh, it's just my favorite movie of the year so far. I, I, I don't know what else can come out this year that's going to top it for me, but I agree with you, man. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. All right, next up, uh, Josh writes, which original Game of Thrones youth will have the best next decade? My money's on Richard Madden, uh, Bodyguard. Well, I wouldn't really call him a youth. But anyway, Richard Madden, Bodyguard plus roles in Rocketman 1917 is a better resume than the leads for uh, Kit, Emilia have done. Next up, Eternals uh, has an MCU male lead failed to become a movie star. Well, I mean, look, there are some arguments. Like, look at it this way. For the most part, they are movie stars by the by the time they be, come into the MCU. 
if they haven't, there's been some discussion about this. For example, name a massive hit that Robert Downey Jr. has done since being Iron Man. I'll wait. There isn't one. He hasn't had a big giant hit other than an MCU thing that I, unless I'm forgetting one off the top of my head, which is perfectly possible. Uh, Chris Evans. Yeah. He was part of a big ensemble for knives out. And by the way, make no mistake. I love Robert Danger and I love Chris Evans. Don't get me wrong, but I'm, I'm saying like what massive thing as what big, huge, massive hit has Chris Evans been in since he was captain America. Um, Chris Hemsworth. I think Chris Hemsworth has shown he's a hell of an actor. But what big giant hit has Chris Hemsworth done since being Thor? You know, it's so I know it's a difficult thing. It's a difficult thing to to kind of quantify on that level. Anyway, don't forget Kit is also in Eternals. So don't forget that. But yes, I like Richard Madden very much. Uh, I, I have not Emilia. I have not been impressed with so far. Now, I'm not saying she doesn't have the potential to be as great everywhere else as she was on Game of Thrones, but you know whether it's Terminator or, or whatever else, I have not really been... I loved her in Game of Thrones. I have not been terribly impressed with her since. Maybe that's just because she hasn't gotten the right, right role yet, but uh, we'll wait and see. All right. Um, one of two. Ray is no one twist in eight was panned because JJ mystery boxed Ray throughout seven. Uh, if we were shown Ray was no one in seven fans would have been cool. Uh, they were encouraged up until eight to theorize. Why doesn't no, I am your father work so well. Uh, why does no, I am your father work so well in episode four because uh, we and Luke are told his backstory definitively. So it floors you with the reveal uh, in Empire. If you're going to telegraph a mystery setting up, oh, you're actually no one, it's tricky. It's Chekhov's gun. Set up a gun, shoot a bullet, not a blank. Raise palp sucks. Well, I, I mean, here's the problem, though. I was yelling and screaming at people from the day after the, the, uh, the Force Awakens came out. As everybody, you go back to the old AMC things. I have been yelling and screaming at people that the movie made it abundantly clear. Like, again, you go back to, to the original times I was talking about that movie. The Force Awakens made it completely clear that she was nobody. I thought it made it very clear she was nobody. And it was, and J.J. Abrams gave interviews explicitly telling people in the interviews, not only that Ray comes, it was nobody, but why it's important that she's nobody, that she doesn't come from some big lineage, right? That was all part of it. People speculated because people wanted to speculate. Like, yes, they raised the question, but I also thought they raised the question to show us the quandary that the character herself was in. I never thought it was a big mystery to the audience, but that was just me. That was just me. Kind of like the same way I told everybody in Game of Thrones for four years, uh, Daenerys is a jerk. Daenerys is a crazy, crazy dictator in the making. I said that we did a Game of Thrones after show. And I said, right for, I think season, maybe it was right from season four. Maybe it was in season five. I started telling people, you watch, you watch Daenerys. She's evil. 
She's got all there. She's got all the hallmarks, all the hallmarks. She's going to turn heel real fast. It's all there. And everybody said I was crazy. Everybody said I was crazy. For years, people told me I was crazy. And then when it happened, everybody went, how did they suddenly change her? And I'm like, I have been telling you for years that they've been laying this groundwork and you didn't believe me. I've said for years, oh, how did they suddenly out of nowhere turn her bad? No, if an idiot like me could see that they were laying the groundwork that she was going to turn heel real hard. If an idiot like me could see it, Anybody should have been able to see it anyway. That's, that's a separate topic altogether. But uh, yeah, that's that. All right, let's move on here, shall we? Um, anyway, I like, I like the way you're looking at that, Jay. You're looking at it in an interesting way. All right, Marcus writes, one of two, Guardians of the Galaxy is original. A wise-cracking Earth guy on a ship with uh, other side of the galaxy with a sexy reforming, uh, reforming former soldier, a huge alien dude trying to avenge his dead family, a real smart, selfish alien creature who comes, who come probably meant becomes good, a part nature being uh, that sacrifices himself for them, and a military commander hunting them. Oh, and bringing in a weirdo, aloof female character to join the gang in the second one was great too. Oh wait, I have have I been describing far? I was gonna say I'm glad you went there. Have I been describing Farscape? Yes, yes, I have. See, here's the thing though, when it, when it comes to movies and television, really any kind of art, there there is nothing from a ground zero from scratch original thing anymore. Like purely original that does not have some sense of inspiration or similar thematic ideas that something else at some point hasn't had. Every movie is very unique in the way it now combines those different elements and those different things and it becomes its own story. Like no one's going to confuse Farscape from Guardians of the Galaxy, but you cannot ignore the thematic overtones that were used. And by the way, Farscape wasn't the first one to do a lot of those things either. But what is truly unique, what, like every human being has a fingerprint, nothing unique there. It's all lines and swirls and blah, blah, blah. But the way each line and swirl in the fingerprint comes together for one collective thing becomes very unique. And I think some film fans forget that. There is, there is really no such thing as any song or any painting or any movie that is completely original. It, they just don't exist anymore. You can put non-original things together in an original way, but there's no such thing that from its ground scratch up is completely original. So it's a good observation, Marcus. All right, next up, Tiberius writes, John and gang recently showed my wife Highlander and found she does not share our affinity for this movie. She didn't hate it. Just wasn't her cup of tea. I love it. And even like the nineties TV show got me thinking, what can be done to bring this IP back? Well, listen, they've been trying forever. Highlander is the look. Every movie in my top 10 list, my all-time favorite top 10 movies, are all movies that wouldn't necessarily be in your top 10 list, but they're all movies most people would look at and go, oh, yeah, that's a good one, but maybe not in their top 10, but I could list every one I've got in there, whether it's Shawshank Redemption, Godfather, uh, you know, uh, uh, Lawrence of Arabia, whatever, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings. All the ones I mentioned may not be in your top 10 list, but you'll hear all of them go, oh, yeah, 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 that one. Yeah, that's a good one, blah, blah, blah. The one exception is my Clancy Brown, Sean Connery, uh, Christopher Lambert, classic, 
The Highlander. That's the one when I can go through all the lists of my movies in my top 10. And then I get to Highlander. Everybody say, yeah, that's good. They say, wait, wait, what? Highlander? Yeah, that's the one that makes everybody go, really? Highlander is in your top? Highlander's in my top 10 favorite all time. I love that movie. But all film is subjective, Tiberius. And not everybody's going to like it. And that includes your wife. And that's totally fine. They have been trying for a long time. Ryan Reynolds was attached for years to be the new Connor McLeod. And then that fell through. And then one of the John Wick directors has for years now been attached to direct a reboot of Highlander. And he still says he's still going to do it. But I mean, as the years pass, I'm starting to doubt it more and more. But theoretically speaking, we are supposed to get another Highlander. Whether or not it actually happens, we'll have to wait and see. All right. Johnny Weiner. Weiner writes. Uh, it took me a while, but I finally recognized Titus Welliver from The Mandalorian Episode 3. I haven't seen his other stuff like Lost or Sons of Anarchy, but I saw him before in Trade. That's right. He was in Transformers, Transformers Age of Extinction as a lead federal agent. By the way, I love Transformers films and Justice League Joker. I like Jared Leto. Oh, you mean Jared Leto Joker. I like Jared Leto Joker, too. I'm glad you did, too. I like the first Transformers, none of the other ones. But yeah, listen. Titus Welliver, and he's got his own very successful, I believe it's on Amazon, very successful show called Bosch, which I believe has been running like five or six seasons. I saw the first season. I really liked it. I don't know why I didn't pick up on season two. I, it's just something that I realized like much later. On, I was like, oh, like I heard news like Bosch season four is coming. I was like, holy crap. I never even watched season two. Like I watched season one and I really liked it. I don't know why I never picked up on it. I might have to catch up on it at some point. But anyway, he's one of those guys that he pops up in a movie. You instantly recognize him. Maybe you can't place him and maybe you don't know his name, but he's always great in everything he pops up in. I really like the guy. All right. Uh, next up, uh, Buck O.D. writes. In order to become the leader of Wakanda, all the challengers must be defeated in hand-to-hand -hand combat without enhancements. No heart-shaped herb or tech, just simple weapons. I have I have a hard time imagining a person as tiny as Letitia Wright doing that. That is one of the big things that always comes up when people say, oh, Shuri will become the next Black Panther. It makes no sense. The reason why it makes, and by the way, Letitia Wright as Shuri, <laughs> Love the character, and I love her. She's one of my favorite characters in all of the MCU right now. I love Shuri. But her being the leader of Wakanda makes absolutely zero sense for two very important reasons. Number one, she's not a leader. She wants to be in her lab. She has no desire for governing. She has no desire to do any of that stuff. That is not where her natural skill set is. She wants to be in her lab so that's the one thing. But the second thing is, who's she going to beat in hand-to-hand -hand combat? Like, honestly, if if for whatever reason, they set it up that, um, that T'Challa was no longer there and can no longer be king, well, that only leaves one guy. That just leaves one guy. He came this close, this close to already beating T'Challa. Remember at the beginning of Black Panther, uh, Umbaku challenged for it as the leader of the tribe. He used the right to challenge for it. And had he won that fight, he becomes the next king of Wakanda. And he came that close to beating him. 
of anybody, he's the one who should become king. He has leadership experience. He's led his tribe the entire time. And I'm sorry, but if like if Shuri lays claim to the throne, almost anybody from the other tribes can just say I lay claim to it and they have to fight in hand to hand combat. And I'm sorry, but M'Baku beats Shuri easily. He is the mighty M'Baku. So, yeah, I, I, there's just there's no way to make any sense of the notion to me of Shuri being the next monarch of Wakanda. It just there's just no way understanding how they say Wakanda works. It just makes no sense. And so I uh, yeah. So anyway, yeah, there's that. All right. Ryan Loner writes. When is Disney going to get around to answering the greatest Star Wars mystery of all? Did Han get his sight back before Leia was able to change out of the slave outfit? That's the question. And, you know, it's funny because I've got to watch the Star Wars um, Christmas special. I think it comes out tomorrow. You know what? They sent me a screener link for this like a week ago, and I just never got around to watching it. They sent me a screener link for the Star Wars Lego Christmas special, and I never got around to watching it. But... Uh, there's the one funny thing in the trailer where it's like, you got the old and the young version of Han, uh, you can shoot first. You get, I, I thought, ah, I see what you did there. That was clever. All right. Next up, Jesse writes, uh, oh boy, John, I did it. I pre-ordered my Hasbro black series, electronic Mandalorian helmet ready to ship on April. Uh, it's a one-to-one scale. It comes with a fully finished interior and an attachable tactical flashlight. So excited. I've been waiting so long for this. I got to tell you Hasbro and you guys remember, Anne used to work at Hasbro, uh, before she moved on to, to, uh, Amazon, but Hasbro puts out some really good stuff. They put out a bunch of cheap crap too. They they absolutely do, but they also put out some really good stuff, uh, particularly in their black series. And I think they just put out one like a, a big Razor Crest model, if I'm not mistaken. So they can put out some good stuff. So do me a favor, Jesse. Send me a picture of that once once it arrives in April or May. Send me a picture of that. I'd like to see it. I hope you enjoy it, man. All right, Min Tran writes. Uh, watch three new movies this weekend, uh, Ammonite, Fat Man, and Freaky. For me, two out of the three films were good. Well, now you can, well, we're getting on number two. Surprisingly, the one that I didn't like was Ammonite. Uh, don't get me wrong, Kate Winslet and Saoirse Ronan uh, gave a good performance, but it's slow paced, the quiet characters, and lack of any accompanying music makes it so dull and boring. I am fascinated to see Freaky. I really do want to see Freaky. I probably would have made the hour long drive out to Orange County to go see it. And that's the closest movie theater to me that's open right now. But honestly, even though I feel safer in a movie theater because of their great safety precautions, the I got to admit, the, the, the latest massive spikes in infections made me hesitate. And so I didn't go to see Freaky. Uh, if it had been, I don't know, Black Widow, I probably maybe I would have gone, but uh, even I, who've gone to the movie theaters twice, I felt very safe and secure in them. The the recent massive spikes in rays and infection rates has, has made me go, eh, I'll probably wait. Uh, but I am very excited about seeing both Fat Man and Freaky. And thanks for giving me your opinion on those, man. I'm looking forward to seeing those. Uh, Min also writes, Fat Man was really fun. Gibson's performance as a gruff, broken Santa was great. It was a weird mixture of a Western movie and a Christmas movie, and it was fun to watch. I'll tell you what. I saw that first trailer. I remember I saw that first trailer, and I was like, I have no idea if this movie is going to be an absolute hot mess or great, 
but I would be lying to you if I didn't tell you I was fascinated by it. Walton Goggins in there. So, I mean, just it's such a different idea. It clearly looked very low budget. I mean, it, it clearly and obviously looked really low budget. But I, I would be lying to you if I didn't tell you I was absolutely fascinated to watch it. So I, I'm going to have to make sure I do, man. Thanks for the recommendation. All right. Patrick Conway writes, over or under 20%. That Baby Yoda will get a Mandalorian armor at the end of the season. Like, imagine the toy sales for Disney and you and Rob would freak out about the hot toy. I will still go way under. I will go way under. Uh, the baby is not Mandalorian. Even by the code that, um, that Mando follows, right? So I'm going to sneeze. <coughs> Pardon me even under the code that Mando follows. So I know I, 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 I'm going to go, well, is it 0%? No, because you're right. There is marketing possibilities galore, but, uh, or I say, just say merchandising opportunities galore, but I would, I would honestly put it around the one or 2% line, but you're not wrong, Patrick. They have baby Yoda come up in a scene and he's wearing like Mandalorian armor. That toy sells 5 million units in the first 10 minutes. <laughs> That toy sells 10 million units in the first 10 minutes. So you're not wrong about that. All right. Min Tran writes, Freaky was also good. For me, it was basically a comedy with elements of a slasher film with some cringe parts that was really fun to watch. And listen, Vince Vaughn, I'm, I have always been a Vince Vaughn fan. And, you know, whether he's doing – he does – look, Vince does no, no longer has a big, big career, right? But – even when he pops up in smaller stuff, I love him in it. Like that little wrestling comedy a year or two ago, fighting with my family. I thought that was a really overlooked movie. I thought that movie was really great. I enjoyed it. I was so entertained by it. And Vince Vaughn was money in it. Absolutely money in it. I love watching Vince Vaughn, whether he's doing something more dramatic um, like True Detective. Like, I thought he was really good in True Detective season two, by the way. Or whether it's something more comedic like in Fighting With My Family. And I think he looks great in this. Again, I haven't seen Freaky yet, but I'm dying to, and I have all the faith in the world in him. All right. Santez H writes, how do you know I won't screw it up again? You won't. Right. It's a leap of faith. Peter would have, would have rather died than go back and deal with his actual life. Uh, it took an outside voice to bring him back to dealing with his real life problems. Great stuff. And listen, that's the thing. There are, you know, one of the things that makes the golden age of comic book movies so unique from previous eras of comic book movies is the fact that when X-Men came out, when the first X-Men movie came out, it signaled to Hollywood that you can incorporate traditional theatrical depth of character and depth of story um, into this comic book fair. You can fuse them in there. The moment that X-Men starts and you see a young Eric in a concentration camp and being torn away from his family and being torn away from everything he loves and 
the metal twisting and, and the, the heaviness of that scene, it sent a signal that you can have these other elements, these deeper things, these character moments that a lot of times in previous eras of Carolyn Book movies couldn't be there. And you can. And, and movies like this one is a great example of those elements being infused in. I think that's a great observation. All right. Next up. Oh, last question of the day, guys. And then we've run out of time here. Starscream writes. Hey, John, congrats on the house. I'd like to say as an intergalactic tyrant, I have thrown humans out of my jet to escape, uh, brought kids to alien planets and threatened to space them if the Autobots don't surrender. But hitting a woman is just a wrong case closed. So what he is talking about um, the new house. So Anne and I, I'll tell you, we'll, we'll close on this. Anne and I went, uh, we've been trying for about a year and a half now to buy a house. Anne and I have been trying for about a year and a half to get a house. And we've had no luck this weekend. A house came up suddenly and we only had 36 hours to decide if we wanted to put in a bid for it. And so this weekend was madness of, of just a fury of activity, driving back and forth and seeing the house and dealing with agents and all this kind of stuff, reading reports and blah, blah, blah. But we put in, it ended last night with us putting in an offer and the offer being accepted. Now, it's not over yet because there's still a few days of inspections that need to happen and some some technicalities need to be cleared. But we may Ann and I might have bought a house, which is really exciting for us. We've never done that. And so uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll let you guys know. It's not a done deal yet. I will let you guys know. Anyway, guys, that will do it. For today's installment of the John Campy Show, there are still a few questions that were left over from today. Like everybody from Hey John, Love the Show, Raymond Verrata, an art teacher movie fan. Don't worry, we'll start off tomorrow's live questions by getting caught up with yours first. There's only a handful left to go, but we will start with yours tomorrow. So do not worry, you sent in those questions. They're going to get answered properly on the show. Guys, special thank you to Robert Meyer Burnett for bringing his glory to this show. It's always good to have him here. Thank you to all you guys for making the show part of your day. And a special thank Thank you to all of you guys who sent in the live questions, because number one, you gave us great fun things to talk about, but number two, you supported this channel while you did it. And all of us here, thank you guys very much for that. I am actually going to be announcing a release date for my documentary movie trailers, a love story this week. I'm going to be announcing the release date this week. So keep your eyes open for it. I'll tell you maybe tomorrow, maybe the day after, but I, I do have a release date coming very uh, shortly. I'm excited about it. Anyway, guys, that will do it for me. Remember to do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. My name's John Campion. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.